It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewing. Each and every week, we talk about sports topics of local interest. Occasionally, we've got a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment this week, the Preakness, and I may give out a PGA championship pick or two, at least what I like. Maybe not going to win, but I do like to bet on golf majors and the segment of the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic, go to Twitter, hit up the hashtag, ask skinny, anything you ask him, Rick collects them. Then he asks them, I answer them. And we have a lot of fun with that segment of the podcast. As always, it's presented by our guy, Ryan Kiefer at first community mortgage, Rick. Uh, we're kind of in that, that lull a little bit here where baseball is kind of settled in. We get a little bit of Bengals trickling in here and there. We had obviously the schedule release last week and, and whatnot. And uh, it's just, it's kind of that, 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 period of time where the off season is kind of looming, but still about a month worth of football to get through. And, and the Reds have kept our interest a little bit here as well. So we got a lot to get to. We are, but skinny in, in the Brewing household, it's a beautiful day. The NBA lottery was last night and my Spurs are going to be able to draft the most intriguing so, prospect in the history of the sport. So I, I know you are a Spurs fan, obviously, and you've been, you've, you've talked, you haven't talked much about them in the last few years of this podcast. It's been a little tough. <laughs> it's been a little tough. As I said last night, the, this, the NBA is back in a big way in the Brewing household. Yeah, I'm just hoping old Victor Wembanyama is not a a Christoph Porzingis in the bite making. your that, tongue. I know that. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm rooting. I'm rooting for it because he he certainly has some unicorn like abilities. Does he not? Oh my god! I mean, seven three with that handle, that mobility, fluidity, the shot. I mean, it's just I I sat and like during the entire Lakers Warriors game last night, I was just watching Victor Wembanyama highlights. <laughs> Until the fourth quarter when it got interesting. Yeah, then it got interesting. Yes. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. The Reds are four and two since we last spoke, 19 and 23 overall, and now tied with the Cubs for third place in the NL Central, just five games back of the first place Brewers. Skinny, over the last week, I've gotten the sense that a lot of people have had their interest renewed in this Red season. I know even for myself, I can't help but get caught up in some of the excitement, the team hanging around in the NL Central may play into it a bit more for some, but for me, it's almost entirely about the combination of the raging success of the prospects at the minor league level and Matt McLean getting the call up to the bigs. And hell, I I know his numbers weren't any good in AAA, but you can throw in Brandon Williamson in there too after his debut on Tuesday night because that was great. Has your interest been renewed in the Reds recently, Skinny? I don't know about the Reds themselves, but yeah, in some of the, the blood that's that's coming through the pipeline, because that's what you've been waiting for, right? Of we, we saw a little bit of the, the the start of the rebuild and and you know the Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Graham Ashcraft, and and they've been met with you know moderate success and a lot of inconsistency along the way. Um, but you know what those guys were doing in the minors from Matt McClain, who just came up, obviously the hype around Ellie De La Cruz is more than real. It feels like now when you start seeing some of the ridiculous things he's doing, um, Encarnacion strand has done nothing. I mean, if you look at him, go back to his last year at Oklahoma state, that dude does nothing but rake. I know he doesn't walk a lot and I know he strikes out a lot, but golly, every other number is just off the charts. He's mature. He's 24 years old. So you're not talking about some kid you're, you're worrying about looking forward to him coming up here sooner rather than later. Um, you know, and then, and then Andrew Abbott, probably the other piece of the, of the puzzle from a pitching perspective, that's kind of really my interest. Cause the one thing you wanted was 
And, and, and again, we haven't seen their success at the big league level because other than Matt McClain's, you know, 10 plate appearances over the last two days, none of them have been it. But you at least want those guys to have success in the minors to start the the hype train rolling a little bit, right? And boy, they've done that, I think. And then they've done even more than what I would have hoped they would have done, to be quite honest with you. I mean, it's, it's almost something spectacular from them every single night. And now one of them's up and it's pretty cool to see. I said it a month or two ago, right when the season was starting, our guy Jim Kelch has the best broadcasting gig in the Reds organization right now, and that's proved to be the case. I mean, it is electrifying every night, it seems like, down there in AAA. But, Skinny, I think for me, Spencer Steer just wasn't enough. Given the situation with this year's team and the fact that it felt like it was going to be essentially a throwaway year at the big league level, watching Spencer Steer getting at bat, one one out of every nine guys just wasn't going to be enough for me. There's too many guys on this roster where it's like, okay, who cares? I mean, this guy yeah, has right, no right. future with the team. He's not part of the, the the next few years of success that we're all hoping for. It just wasn't enough to keep my interest and get me excited about it. But the, the combination of them hanging around just enough, which again, doesn't really factor in for me as much. In fact, like there's a little bit of concern on my end that, they hang around too much too long this summer and they start making decisions more about competing this year than they do about making sure they're doing the right thing for these young guys and keeping that plan in place. Because yeah. at the end of the day, do you think this team is going to win more than 75 or 80 games? I, I don't, but the more they hang around and the more this division shows its mediocrity, the more you have to think about those things though. And that doesn't mean trade a, a potential future piece for a bat down the stretch. But if you do make your team better down the stretch by an acquisition, it doesn't cost you some high level prospect. And I think you, you probably do have to do that this year. It probably not, it's not going to make you break the bank uh, or maybe these kids are good enough when they come up that they are enough to push you over the top. I mean, that, right, that's what they're, you're hoping. They're yeah, they're hanging around despite, obviously, and this could go south quickly because Lodolo now is going to miss maybe a month. Hunter Green is still has not won a game, and he's been very inconsistent. I mean, you need those guys to do some special things for you, too. You need, if and when Ellie comes up, to do the special things you expect. You need, when Encarnacion Strand comes up, to hit with the same level of power. And that's a lot of ifs, right? I mean, I'm throwing a ton of, you know, I need Andrew Abbott to 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 pitch at a high level when he comes up here. And so that's a lot of big asks, but the division has certainly helped you think about those things because the, you know, it's just not a very good division. I, I there's some people I know. Um, I think your friend Jeff Carr does a locked on podcast. I believe locked on reds podcast. I think yep. he thought the brewers were a last place team in the division. And I don't think he was wrong when he said it. So I'm not poking fun at him by any stretch, but that just tells you that they've kind of risen to the top because somebody has to rise to the top. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think uh, I think the Cardinals might still be the betting favorites. Yeah, at least they and, were and a week or two in last ago. place. Right. So I mean, it's it's uh, there's definitely supposed to be some upheaval still in the NL Central and some trading of places as we go on. But I think that's more my concern is the Reds aren't hanging around because they're playing good baseball or because they're playing better than expected. The Reds are hanging around because. The rest of the division stinks. Well, right and, and, and honestly, the, the National League as a whole really isn't very, I mean, outside of a couple of teams. And I guess where you're seeing maybe the schedule this year really playing itself out where you're not playing the teams in your division as many times as you used to play. You're playing, you know, everybody this year. And so I think that's that's starting to show uh, the, the large level of the top, the level of the bottom teams like the Colorados and the Oakland Athletics and those. And then just a ton of teams in the middle, I think did this yesterday. I don't have it in front of me. I think there's only five teams in the NL that are over 500 at the moment. That sounds right to me. And that's, 
again, I think that just shows you the level of mediocrity after the couple of top teams in the, in the whole national league. Yeah, exactly. But that, but that again, when I look at that, the teams who make the playoffs are still going to win 87, 88, sure. 89 games. At That's least. right. No, and right. I don't see this Reds team getting to that number, even if, you know, they could, things go fairly well for them. So again, I, I, I don't want to get too wrapped up in that. My only point is that the excitement for me has really come in the last week plus when it st- it started with that. I had to watch Matt McClain. I had to watch him. Right. Yes. Right. Well, it started with that crazy night in the minor leagues where McClain and CES and Ellie Daly Cruz and all of them were going off the same night. They had, you know, one hit for the, the cycle. The other had like two home runs or whatever right. it was. Yes, yes. And it was just a crazy night that kind of started the buzz and some of the national hype surrounding these guys. And then just in succession, it's been like, okay, McLean getting the call up. And again, Williamson wasn't pitching well. He, so he, he, wasn't was not, he, was, he was great last night. Right. But he gets the call up. So it's like, okay, back-to-back games, you get Matt McLean's debut. Then you want to see a second night. Plus the second night you get Brandon Williamson making his debut and the team's again, playing pretty well, hanging around, playing fun baseball. It's like all of a sudden, this just feels like worth. it's worth watching again. Yes. And yes. the last month plus, it really hasn't felt that way. But this week, it's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm kind of getting the itch. I'm feeling the Reds fever all of a sudden. Yeah, and I, I think some of it, again, is what those guys did at AAA, that it, it's it's so astounding that you, you start really paying notice to them and then you look around going, all right, if you bring them up, it's not like you're knocking somebody off the roster that deserves it. Let's go. Yeah. And again, I'm not here to rush them by any stretch. If they feel it's whatever the time's right, the time's right. I'll, I'll, I'll live with that. But but it's it, the thing is, it's coming and it's coming pretty soon, in my opinion. Yeah. And this is the first time that it's felt like it was coming. I mean, there, there's been a lot of talk about all these guys, but it's always been like, OK, when's the window actually start? When are we actually going to get to see these guys? And now that that's finally starting to happen. That's all I needed. I just needed a little taste. Just give me some Matt McClain action. Give me something to watch on this big league club that has a tie to the future. It gives us just a little window into what's to come. And, and that's been enough for me, at least for the last week. Plus yeah. I, it's been enjoyable. I agree. I, I was standing at uh, Bengals had, we're going to talk Bengals here in a little bit, but I was at Bengals practice on Tuesday for their uh, open practice of the week for us, the media. And I was standing with Charlie Goldsmith from the Enquirer. And we were talking about McLean's performance. And I said, I said, you know, you, you saw him in spring training. He goes, you know, I did. He goes, I didn't realize he was that fast. And I said, how much faster is Ellie? And he goes, oh my gosh, night and day. I said, if he's faster than that, that's cooking. And I know he is because I've seen the measurables. I've seen some of the ridiculous, you know, home to first stats, home to third stats on a triple. Um, some of those things. The, the other night where he, he got, he angrily cursed when he thought he popped out and he ended up hitting an opposite field home run and so charlie actually drove to louisville last night i don't know if he's written the piece yet i have not looked um and it may be he was gathering stuff for something down the road he said he was going to ask ellie about 12 ridiculous things he's done and just ask him to explain how he does them and i'm like are there really 12 he goes yeah he goes i came up with 12 i'm like holy cow so i mean that that's the fun part is when the prospect at least matches the hype at, at the level he's at I think it makes it even more exciting. And then you hope that that prospect matches the hype when he comes to the big leagues. But for right now, for those three guys, they more than match the hype at the triple A level. And and that's just it. It's a sign that the plan is at least for now in on the right path. It's starting to work. Yeah. Rick, I wish I'd have written this piece before this podcast. Maybe we can talk about it next week. And and my boss suggested this. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I got some more Bengal stuff to finish up today. Um, of looking at those recent trades that the Reds made and how those players are doing in the places they're at and what the guys they got in return are doing or where they're at. 
and I think it's going to probably astound me of how well they did in some of those. And I'm doing this off the top of my head. The the Encarnacion Strand and Steer trade were flipped for Tyler Malley, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. And I, what a deal that ended up being. You hate, right. hate to see it, but Tyler Malley just got injured. Yeah, correct. I mean, so some of those things, you know, some of them, you know, maybe didn't work out so well. But I mean, even as good as it sounds, the Suarez Winker trade, you know, Winker's obviously dealt with his his issue um, right. on a new team. And and while I don't think Jake Fraley is much more than a fourth outfielder, you did flip those two guys and the, and the cost savings for Fraley and Brandon Williamson and Justin Dunn, who's hurt. But Again, I don't know if Williamson is going to pan out long term because you're right. His numbers at AAA were just horrifyingly bad. But for the one start, at least he did more than what you would have expected. So that looks like a pretty good flip at the moment, too. And two years ago, he looked awesome at double A. Right. Right. I mean, awesome. And yeah, then no, he just right. kind of fell off the face of the earth over the last. No, I thought he was the cornerstone of that trade. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe hopefully he's healthy and something has clicked here with this opportunity to pitch in the big leagues. Cause he looked great in his debut. I mean, he was paying the corners, he was. but maybe that's the, the issue, right? Like he, his accuracy and location looked almost perfect in that major league debut on Tuesday night. Maybe that's the issue. If he's not as perfect, if he's right. not placing he and locating as well, does he just get hit all around? But, but I, I would also know. say yeah, he, he also did it in one of the most hitter friendly ballparks there is too. Right. Right. It's like, Hey, yeah, I saw someone put out the tweet. It's like, hey, Rook, I, I know you've been struggling recently, but uh, why don't you come up to Colorado and make it? Right, yeah. Day Great day place to like, do that. Jeez. Uh, real quick, Skinny, did you like the City Connect uniforms? You know, I'm not a big uniform guy, as I've talked about, but I did, to to, to your point. I, I think they I think they look pretty sharp. Um, yeah, I thought people got so all yeah. worked up about the hat and the logo, but I was like, I don't know. I think all of it's pretty cool. Yeah. Do I want them to wear those, you know, 81 dates a year at home? No, but, but for a special occasion, um, and I think it's going to be what Friday nights through the rest of the season, they're going to wear those Friday night home games. I think I'm good with that. Yeah. Yeah. The jerseys look great. The the logo is a little weird on the hat, but it's it all fine. It all works together. It's fine. I, no, I, 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 I had thought, no yeah, issue with it. I thought it was too. All right. Anything to get to with the reds or is that it? That's it for me. All right. Let's move on to the Bengals. The Bengals held, a light one-hour practice at the team's indoor facility as part of the NFL offseason workout program on Tuesday. That provided you guys, the media, an opportunity to talk to Joe Burrow and a few of his teammates. During that time, the topic of Joe Burrow's contract came up. Let's start there, Skinny. What stood out to you about the discussion with Joe Burrow in terms of his contract? A, Joe saying he's involved, and that's always a good thing when Joe Burrow is involved, is it not? Yes, I, I want think Joe, we all feel that way. I want Joe Burrow involved because – if it's just agent versus Bengals, you can see push coming to shove and nothing maybe getting accomplished, but Joe being involved comforts me. And I think the fact that he, he is, and people can bark either side of this argument, but I, I, it was more than inferred that he's willing to leave some money on the table to get something done for, for, to keep his core together, to keep T Higgins here, to keep Jamar chase here. I think that's, you know, listen, I'm not telling anybody how to do their business and Joe Burrow deserves whatever Joe Burrow can get. But I think Joe Burrow, and I think one of his quotes was, Hey, you know, you can have a great quarterback, but you got to have great players around him too. And, and I think he's fully aware of that. And again, this is not going to be some team friendly discount, but I think he is going to leave money on the table to make sure he does have great players around him. And to me, that's smart. Yeah. He said, I'm pretty clear on what I want in the contract and what I think is best for myself and the team. And he didn't get into any of the details because he oh, said right. he felt like that should all be done behind closed doors and not in the public, which is is correct. Aside from, I want T. Higgins, I want Jamar Chase around as much as possible. I, I'm sure I want 
as good of an offensive line as possible. Do you think there are any other things that he wants when he says, I'm pretty clear on what I want in the contract? Do you Are there any other things that you can think of where Joe Burrow would be like, hey, I, I, I want to make sure Zach Taylor's being taken care of, or I want to make sure no, this I, guy I think, is still in place, or I want to make sure we're doing this? I took that, and I don't think any of us used the quote because there was another quote in, about how the pie could be cut up, and he said it can be cut up a lot of different ways. I I took that to mean that that how he wants the structure of the contract to be from you know the signing bonus in order to spread it out to um, – uh, you know, when this may kick in, I mean, it, it could possibly kick in as late as two years from now. And, and you know, he's got the fifth year option for next year of 29 mil guaranteed. You know, that, that doesn't mean an extension has to be done this offseason. Maybe it's done in principle or maybe it's done to where, you know, you, you kick the can down the road a couple of years to start the salary cap spread out process. You know, maybe there is some guaranteed money the Bengals are going to have to put in a couple of years just because um, you're not going to be able to spread out the, the, the signing bonus the, the way you would hope salary cap. So I think that's, I, that's what I inferred to it was, was that he kind of knows how he wants the guaranteed money to work. And that, that's, that was at least the inference I took from it. I love Joe Burrow as much as anyone. I believe he is intelligent and that he is approaching this with a long-term view of exactly what you're talking about. I, I want my teammates around me. I, I'm willing to defer some money or even leave a little money on the table to make sure we can keep as many of these guys around. But I'll also throw this out there because I think this stuff is getting we're getting carried away with this stuff to some extent, at least on social media and some of the fans I see talking about it. Agents still have to agent here. Like his agent is still going to be fighting to get him as much money as a quarterback has ever been paid in the history of the NFL. Sure, because he's got other yeah, he's got other clients that he needs to show that to as well. Right. So like I, I think I would caution people as much as I believe that Joe Burrow feels that way, and I believe that that is the truth about him wanting his teammates to be taken care of and all of that. Also remember there's a big part of this, which is the agents are still going to be agents and he is still going to be asking for as much money as anyone. And the Bengals will give it to him at some point, but just because Joe Burrow wants what's best for the team doesn't mean this is necessarily an easy negotiation. No, I I agree. But I think the fact of him saying he's involved, I think does give him the touch on this a little bit as well that he can say, no, I don't think I want to do it that way. Let's do it this way. Um, and, and let's see if we can make something work for those guys. If I do it this way. So I, I do think that having Joe Burrow involved and Joe saying he's involved, I think it's an important part of this because some guys will literally simply say, Hey, that's between my agent and the team. Yes. And that's usually how it works out. It's a, it's a lot easier for everybody when that takes place sometimes. I mean, yeah. you know, the player stays out of it, but I think in this case, He's such a big piece to the to the to the puzzle of all these other contracts that him being involved, I think, is an important step. Yeah. And I do think there is a a part of Joe Burrow that is at the end of the day going to be like, I just want to play football, get this thing done for me and let me quit worrying about it. And I don't think he is. I I think that's the thing. I think that was the the part I took away from it, too, is that I think stuff's going on behind the scenes. We're just going to leave it there. I'm not going to talk about this in the media and it'll get done. And I think it will. You guys had the chance to talk to a, a few other guys. I know both of the receiver, the top receivers you talked to, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Um, did anything else come out of the locker room time that you guys got to spend? <laughs> so I don't even know how to write this story, and I don't think I'm going to, but one of the most interesting things that came out, and you're right, the fact that A.T. Higgins and Jamar Chase were, were both there, um, the fact that they both chose to talk, and now they both chose to talk at the same time, which – we all found a way around because we kind of shared our information with each other because you can't be in two places at once. I did find that interesting. And I, I specifically asked T, Hey, 
lot of guys in your spot going for a contract extension wouldn't be here. Um, don't have to be here. It's voluntary. Why are you here? And he said, I'm just working on my craft. And I, I truly think he meant it that, listen, man, I'm a football guy. I want to play football and contract stuff will get, get taken care of. But somehow we got onto about a four minute conversation process of T Higgins jellyfish rancher. He, excuse me. He, he wants to put G, he, he wants to have jellyfish, a jellyfish tank. So he bought, he said he was watching discovery channel saw something about jellyfish, decided he wanted to have some jellyfish. Well, unfortunately for T, he bought three jellyfish and then decided at that point to put the jellyfish tank together to put them in. And unfortunately, they died for him. So T said he's now going to, to get some help to, to put the jellyfish tank together and then go that route to try to get some jellyfish again. But for about four minutes, there was conversation about T Higgins and jellyfish. What are we doing? Like this... Yeah, I guess it's better than going out to clubs and doing the John Morant thing, but uh, yes. jellyfish rancher is not exactly how I, I don't, I don't even know if rancher is the correct word. He just wants to he wants to have jelly he wants to have a jellyfish tank in his house. Is what no, he I I like it better when you combined aquatic life and the term rancher. Yeah, I like I jellyfish yeah. rancher personally. Yeah. I'd stay with that. Uh, did uh, what about Jamar Chase? Did did we get any update on uh, his Kings Island impersonator? Are they friends? So- or- so we did, and he, he kind of took a shot at everybody involved where he said, dude, didn't even come close to looking like me. Didn't have no tattoos or nothing. He's right. He's right. He's right about that part. I totally agree with him. I don't. The, the parents involved in that situation were the dumbest people. Yes. Even I, I was, than the guy I was glad he answered it. I, I was glad he was aware of it, and he answered the question. It was like literally the last thing we asked him before we got shoot out of the locker room, and he kind of lit up at that. I think he, I don't think he got a kick. I don't know if he got a kick out of it, but he got a kick it out of answering the question. I do love the fact that we're to a point and these guys are all young enough. They all grew up in the social media era where there is no longer the, uh, oh, I don't pay attention to that stuff or I didn't see any of it with any, like a lot of professional athletes used to use that line. You could kind of buy it of like, oh, well, he's just, you know, he's an adult. He's not on social media, but it's like all these guys now, every one of them know everything that happens. They all get tagged 150 times. If anything's out there about them. And when I say 150, it's more like probably 150,000 times, but like they, they know. So it, that, that does kind of make weird things like the Jamar Chase at Kings Island impersonator more fun. Yeah. Along those lines, you know, the, the that whole rumored T Higgins extension thing, right. That went crazy on Twitter for yeah. a while. Yeah. He, he addressed that as well. He said, yeah, my phone was blowing up with text messages. He goes, I hadn't seen it. He said, but I didn't respond to the texts because I knew it wasn't true. He said, then my mom texted me and goes, do you have a new contract son? And he said, I'm like, mom, if I got a new contract, you'd be the first to know. So <laughs> it was pretty good. It was a pretty good response there too. Uh, you gotta love Twitter. Uh, Skinny. Last week the Bengals schedule came out on the day that we were recording the podcast. We did a kind of a quick run through of it. Talked about some of the the big notes, but I did want to come back to it just real briefly here since we had a little more time to look over it. And also the win totals for all the NFL teams yep. are out at every sports book. I'm going off of DraftKings right now, but they're pretty similar across the board. You can find them on any of your sports books. The Bengals win total, 11 and a half games this season. Do you like the over or the under? I, I know this is extremely early, and I know we're not going to get into like detailed analysis of the schedule right now, but 11 and a half, just off the top of your head, do you like that number? Do you like the over or the under more? I, I don't like the number and here's why. So I did do an analysis of it. Yeah, I did do an analysis of, of the schedule last Friday. Um, and I, I, I did like 
like the toughest three game stretch, the easiest three game stretch, some games that can be flexed into the buys, you know, why the bye week actually comes at an important time. And then I did a predicted schedule and I did come up with 12 and five as, as, as the predicted answer. And as you know, I always do this before the season starts too, where, where I do the same thing, right? I'll put games in the likely win column, the likely loss column, and then what I call uh, toss up games, if you will, they're kind of 50, 50. A lot, a lot of those are kind of those road games, even against average teams, just because they're on the road. I will say, Rick, this year, I ended up putting eight games in the likely win column and I put only four games in the likely loss column. And I mentioned in the piece, usually every year in the likely win column, I'd stumble on one of those games and one of those winds up a loss, like the Jets from a couple of years ago, right. that road loss, the Steelers home opener last year, I put in the likely win column, ended up being a freaky loss because of the long snapper situation. But then there's usually one in the likely loss column that turns into a win. Last year, I put the game at Tampa Bay in the likely loss column and, and that became a win. So they kind of even themselves out. So I, I kind of went through that process and came down to, I, I had the record at, at uh, I think, what was it? Eight and four going to the five toss-up games. And then the five toss-up games, I'm like, four and one looks doable to me. So I went 12 and five, but I don't feel great about 12 and five. Uh, 11 and six keeps sticking in my cross. So at 11 and a half, I may just have to punt not playing it either way, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. It feels like, even if you're really optimistic about the Bengals' chances this year, it's tough to go more than 12, which it is for almost any NFL team, obviously. But I mean, to yeah, to, to lock in a number of over 12, you're talking about essentially a perfect season for the Bengals and everything goes right and there's no injuries and you get off to a great start. Again, you look at the schedule this year, we're in a somewhat similar boat to last year where you're like, they they better be pretty good early because yep. you get to the end of it and it's going to be really tough again. Now, it didn't work out that way last year. And of course they, they still found a way to get in the playoffs and, and make it the AFC championship game. But uh, I, I mean, I look at those first six games before the bye week skinny. Yep. And if the Bengals started off the season five and one, would it surprise you? No. And I think they almost have to, to be honest with you, to at least put yourself in a good position. Now they've been great coming out of the bye the last two years, right? Where you're thinking going yep. into the bye. Oh boy, they're kind of on the this season's on the cusp. And in both of these last two years, are they, you know, if, if they if they play the way they've been playing, this is gonna get ugly after the bye, and, and maybe they won't make the playoffs in both years. They hit the ground running after the bye. And you're right, I think those first six games, I I, I said this on, on a radio interview last Friday. I mean, four and two has to be a minimum, and five and one would be okay, feeling pretty good. But if you're not at least four and two, oh boy, you're gonna you're gonna really have to hump it after the bye week. Yeah, I mean, we're talking at Cleveland to open, home Baltimore the second week, home Rams the third week, at Tennessee, at Arizona, and then home against the Seahawks in week six prior to that bye week. I don't think 6-0 and is off the table. And I do – my one prediction for this team is I think they are going to get off to a really good start this year. It's I, not going to be like last season. I, I do too, but it's funny. So I mentioned I've got five games in the swing game. I call it swing games. I, I think I said toss-up games. Or I call them swing games, 50-50 games, if you right. will, for me. Three of those first six are in the swing game. Three of my five swing games are in that first six-game stretch, the at Cleveland game, the Baltimore, Baltimore game at home, and at Tennessee, again, just because it's on the road. And Right. Um, again, would it surprise me if they go to Cleveland and win? Absolutely not. Certainly at home, you hope the you hold home 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 turf with the win over Baltimore. Then it wouldn't shock me at all if they go to Tennessee and win either, because they've kind of had their number down there, and that roster's not as good as it's been in recent years. So none of those would shock me by any stretch. So yeah, six and zero is I think on the table. I think the other thing too, and, and I'm writing this piece today, <laughs> and we talked to to Joe Burrow about this yesterday, and and it was the whole. 
He's talking about how he's improved some of his things strength-wise this offseason. His body feels great. And the question was literally asked, you know, knock on wood, this might be the first time you've got a chance to go through a full offseason, including training camp. And he kind of stopped short. He said, we knocked on wood last year too, didn't we? And it didn't work out so well. But, you know, a a healthy Joe Burrow through all of camp, um, you know, having these offensive linemen, at least a core of them, and I know Jonas flipping sides, but four of the five offensive linemen being the same, I think all of the continuity of that is 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 really going to be beneficial to them getting off to a hot start. I go back to and I was I'm probably as guilty as anybody else. I do think we discounted the appendectomy. I I do. I think we thought yes. that, hey, he's okay. He's back up. He's throwing. He's moving. Everything's all right. I think we discounted that. Oh, he threw 150 interceptions in the first game. I think it was uh, pretty obvious he wasn't exactly himself to start the year. I don't I don't see any argument against And that, the same really. with the offensive line. Again, like, you know, I think we all assumed they're all improved individually. They're just going to hit the ground running. It don't happen that way, and it didn't happen that way. You know, one thing I do find funny about the coverage of the offensive line is last offseason and then going into the beginning of the year, everyone was writing about, what a big get Lyle Collins was and what an upgrade he was bringing to the offensive line at right tackle. And this year, everyone is writing about the Bengals offensive line. Jonah Williams might slide over to right tackle and give the Bengals an upgrade over Lyle Collins. It's like, what are we doing? That's true though. I mean, I guess it is, but it's just kind of like every year we just fall for the same stuff. It's like whoever the new guy is, is, the, the fix to the problems, right? I mean, well, the, the fix to the problem is the dude they signed from Kansas City. There's your fix to the problem. Yes. But uh, amazing what a difference a year makes in terms of how we view these guys. Right. I mean, Lyle Collins was a savior at this time a year ago, and now he's being upstaged by one Jonah Williams. Yeah, I, I wasn't in the, was good I, enough. I wasn't quite in the savior category. I mean, dude was on the market for a reason at that price for a reason. And I know he played hurt and I applaud him for that, but he didn't do much for me from jump street skinny. It also came out in terms of the Bengals schedule that the Bengals were a team that had raised their hand when it came time in in the meetings and said, Hey, we'd like to host the first black Friday game. The NFL is doing a black Friday game every year now played after Thanksgiving. And the Bengals said, not only will we host the first one, we'd like to play in it every single year. That's been reported by multiple outlets now. Do you like that idea of the Bengals being the annual Black Friday game? I don't. I was talking to another media member yesterday who who's big into covering high school sports um, in addition to, to all the other sports. He said he'd love it. He thinks it'd be great. And I said, that's a, that's a pretty big high school football playoff Friday. Yeah, there's not as many teams involved, but it's still a – it's the semis in both Kentucky and Ohio. And we still always have some teams involved in all those things. And, you know, does would that take away from the media coverage of that? And my fear is it would. And so to answer that, I don't think it would be a good thing. And I'm, I know I'm in the minority with that opinion. Um, and Bengals fans who don't care about high school sports are going to certainly go, you're an idiot. And that's fine. <laughs> uh, but you asked my opinion of it and, and I don't like it. I, I just don't. Yeah. I haven't, I hadn't considered the high school football angle. I will admit that I, I mean, I, I do think it would be pretty cool. The Thanksgiving games are always something fun to look forward to, but then there's always that lull. Well, no, for, I mean, for, for me, there's, Saturday. yeah, for me, there's, but there's a lot of college football rivalry games that get played on that Friday too. That usually whets my appetite enough. I know it's not the NFL, um, but that usually carries me over to the weekend just fine. 
Yeah, I guess there are some some college folks. They're not usually very good ones, are they, on that Friday? I don't know. Are they on the board? Do they have a point spread in them? That's true. That's true. What does it matter? You're right. Yeah, and again, he you know he mentioned, he said, well, you know, what if this game kicks off at 3 o'clock on Black Friday? You know, I said, yeah, I said, that's a big ass for media to go drive to Troy to go cover LaSalle in a state semifinal game, isn't it? I yeah, mean, admittedly, the high school stuff just doesn't play into it at all for me, but I get, I, I get, I get your it. point there. Yeah, I'm just talking from a media perspective. I don't know. I just... To me, Friday's You're worried about Joe Daneman. I, I am. He's, he's going to be the only one. Him and Jeremy are going to be the only ones going back and forth between the two things. That's possible. Yes, that's that's possible. Um, I, You know, I just, I don't know. Fridays are for high school football until they're not. I just, I, I, listen, I love the NFL as much as the next guy does. I don't need seven days a week NFL. I just don't. Fair enough. I, I, I like the idea on... Uh, on Thanksgiving week. I just like the tradition of having something that you own that you get to look forward to every year. I think that would be fun. Uh, well, but instead, me, I, I bet a lot of the fan base applauded this idea. And, and I, I understand if you're just, a, if you don't care about high school sports and, and again, it's a very niche audience that does. I, I understand that. I think a standalone Friday game, if it's just Bengals related, would be cool as all get out. But I'm talking about, there's a lot more involved with this and they're big supporters of high school sports, right? They have the high school coach of the year every year. They bring the state championship teams down to the stadium to have them get on. Or I, I, you know, I, 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 I know I it's, there's a lot of moving parts. I know it feels obvious to say this because like they have Joe Burrow and they've had success the last two years, but it also just feels kind of good that the Bengals are looking ahead like this of like, yeah, we plan to be in the national spotlight yeah, right. for years to come right. here. Like we, we've got this thing rolling. We're not worried about how are we going to be able to afford this and keep it rolling. Like we expect everything to continue on like this as, as long as we have Joe Burrow again, I know that's a silly thing to say because of course they feel that way, but in some ways it still feels good being from Cincinnati and seeing the professional organizations in this town for so many years. Yeah. Well, Okay. I think from the NFL's perspective, I, I'm going to guess they would like to keep rotating that game around for, for m- many. I mean, this reason, this season, obviously, it, it felt perfect for them to have New York, right? Perfect. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers and yeah. the big market. That's understandable. And and you might be right. They might like to change that one. But, I mean, you would have thought the same thing about the Thanksgiving Day game, right? And that became a tradition, obviously. So Twice. I mean, Detroit was really the original tradition. And then Dallas morphed into the to the second game tradition. And then the NFL, obviously, has rotated the, the, the late night game. Uh, there, but but yeah, for for Dallas turned that into tradition for them. It was always a Detroit tradition, and then it became a Dallas one on top of it. Uh, let's move on. NBA playoffs. We are j- down to just four teams now in the NBA playoffs. It's Miami versus Boston for the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Nuggets taking on the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. The Nuggets went up one zero on Tuesday night, an exciting game, and that's as much as we know. We're recording this on Wednesday morning. You told us you have both the Lakers and the Nuggets on NBA Futures bets to win it all, right? And I had Philly as well. Well, right, they're they're out of it now. Yeah, obviously. no, but I would have felt uh, I would have felt really really good being the spot I'm in. Uh yeah. Do, do you have a preference on who wins this series now between the Nuggets and Lakers? So obviously, my price on the Lakers is higher, but I and this is going to sound silly because we talked about them in terms of hey, if they stay healthy and these guys these these you know, role players continue to play their roles. They are a dangerous team to win it all. And that's why I took them at the price. But I just think feel like Denver's the better team and would give, you know, maybe, maybe I get lucky in the heat come out of the East for all I know. I just, I, I think, I think the Celtics are the most talented team, but I think the Nuggets have the most problem matchup for, for anybody that's left in the playoffs because of 
the Joker. I mean, the, the stuff he's doing is just, it's almost mind boggling legendary at this point. So yeah, I, I feel better about Denver winning it all, but obviously I've got the Lakers at a bigger price. Yeah. I, and that's, that's the thing you have to weigh out there. It's like, okay, it's nice to have the bigger price, but who do you think is actually going to win the NBA championship if they get through? And either way, I actually think the team in the West has a pretty good chance. I, I mean, too. we're sitting here with Miami as an eight seed in the Eastern Conference Finals. And by the way, two weeks ago, our NBA talk ended up looking really good because we were sort of, at least on the West side, we nailed it. We were talking about the Lakers and the Nuggets, both looking good, both being good value from a betting perspective and the teams we kind of liked. And then we also hit on uh, Miami a little bit here and, and what they were doing and, and their potential to to make another run. And I, I was wondering, Skinny, do you think it's bad for the sport that there's an eight seed and a seven seed in the conference finals on no. either side. Do you think it makes the regular season meaningless? No, no, I don't. I, I think it's great because how many years it felt like once the playoffs started, it was this team's playoff to lose. And that team never lost, whether it was the Phoenix super team or the Miami super team, or heck you can go back to, to kind of my era where, you know, the late eighties into the night. I mean, it was, it was the rise. It was, you know, after, after bird magic, it became the rise of the, of, of the Pistons, the bad boy Pistons. They were always the team to beat and always seemed to win it. Then it was the Jordan bulls and they always seemed to win it. And so it got to the point of, it, it almost felt like a, an afterthought that these teams were going to win. I think that's, what's made these playoffs pretty good because it really has been unpredictable. Well, and I think one thing you've seen too in recent years and, it's probably been going on for a while, but you've definitely seen it with some of the the more recent teams with like LeBron and Steph and some of these guys that are getting a little bit older or some of these teams that have had big injuries, like, you know, Clay Thompson goes down, Draymond has had his injury issues. You, they get, they go through the season just trying to get through it. But when you have those types of top end stars, it's all kind of a, a math problem to where you're like, okay, how healthy can we stay and how can we get all these guys to where they're playing their best basketball by the end of the year while still putting ourselves in a good enough spot to where we have a chance in the playoffs. Cause when you have, you know, a Steph, a clay and a Draymond, or you have a LeBron on your team, or you have a, a KD and whoever else with him, he's, he's always on a super team. You, you have that ability to, regardless of whether you're the one seed or the eight seed, you have the ability to make the finals. So it's more about, uh, can you get yourself right? in time and still have enough of a path to get there. And I think that's what you've seen is for those teams, it may not matter as much during the regular season where they're seated, but for everybody else, they're trying to either avoid that team maybe, or they're trying to like, I mean, the Knicks are a perfect example of one of those teams that seating means everything for the Knicks, them, them trying to move up and get out of those eight seeds and seven seeds sure. is, is really important for teams like that and giving them a chance to move on. So I don't think it makes the regular season meaningless. I just think for certain teams that are, that have the best talent, it's the regular season isn't the focus as much. And that's understandable. But home court made, meant a lot for the Celtics. Did it not game seven being at home? Exactly. I mean, it's still, it still absolutely matters. And the Celtics are a team that I wouldn't put in that you know, the, the teams that have been there done that with superstars like the Warriors. And I mean, the Lakers are different, but LeBron's been there, done that. So, you know, you always have a chance with him to them. I don't worry as much about the regular season, but for all these other teams, the, the regular season is still hugely important. Yeah, no, no question. I, I think for Denver, it was a momentum thing, right? Carry the momentum of their season into the playoffs. Absolutely. They're the number one seed in the West. And they were, what, right. what did we say that they were the fourth or fifth? Well, I best think fourth odds? betting choice. Yeah. 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 
I mean, that was great value. And we, we hit that on that before the playoffs even started. So hopefully a few people were smart like you and, and grabbed them. Well, I, I joke is just ridiculous though. He is just ridiculous. It's insane. And, and the other thing about it is all these teams have gone to smaller lineups, right, right. playing spread out to where it's like, if you have a dominant rebounder who can also play in that style, Man, it is a big advantage because he can completely control the game like Joe well, did in the first. He is a, he is a hell of a trailer on the fast break. Oh, he is the, he is literally the perfect trailer on a fast well, break. Perfect trailer, but he's also almost as good of a point guard running the break himself. Right? No. He right. Can do either one. Right. He, he, he does that. He'll, he won't just finish with an assist on that all the time. He'll pull up and shoot a three from the top of the key. We were talking about Miami being the eight seed in the East. Do you think Boston as the two seed is going to roll them? I don't. I don't. I for, they've got just the right mix of of role guys, and they've got a guy who raises his level of play in the postseason. And while I've been at the ilk a long time, and I'll probably continue to stand by this, that I don't think coaching matters a ton in the NBA because it's very much a player's league. For a team that maybe doesn't have those superstars, Eric Spolster is a superstar coach, and yep. he does make a difference. Yep, I agree. All right, anything else here on the NBA before we move on to the Preakness, Skinny? Nope, that's it. All right. Well, we've got the Preakness coming up this weekend. Obviously, uh, another leg in the Triple Crown. Uh, Skinny, do you have any picks for us? It is honestly a horrifyingly bad field, in my opinion. I mean, you got the Derby winner in there, Mage, and that's all well and good. And he is the he is the he is the favorite at the moment at eight to five, and he'll probably go off at seven to five or six to five. So, a there's no value there. Number one, number two, deep closers don't win the Preakness very much. At least they haven't over the last. 22, 20 since the year 2000. I think only two deep closers have ever won uh, the Preakness. So that's working against Mage as well. Um, he is on paper the best horse in the race, but I- I'm looking for a little value. And I got two. I got a 15 to one shot perform um, who's running out of the six hole. He also, he, he had to come from far back in his last start, but I don't think that's where he wants to run. I think he wants to run a little bit closer to the pace and will. And I like the horse on the outside first mission, which is the second choice at, at odds of five to two. So I'll probably do a first mission, um, perform maybe overall, overall in a trifecta and hope to hope to catch perform on top and a couple of clunkers underneath. It's just, it's just not a very good field. There's, out of the eight horses, you can honestly toss three or four of them, uh, to be quite frank. And that's why a lot of times when you do that and you put the all button, you're just hoping one of those runs the race of his life and somehow stumbles into third and you get a nice price out of it. So that's the eight and the six you're talking about. First mission yep. and perform if Correct. you're uh, looking to follow skinny there. Um, you mentioned perform out of the, the six spot. That is the the best spot to be in traditionally in the Preakness, the six Post position has won the race 16 times, which is most out of any spot. The other, I did not, I did not know that stat. That's a, that's an even better stat. There you go. And the other uh, spot t- that's tied for second and a horse I like that I want to get your opinion on blazing sevens is in the seven post position, six to one odds. What do you got for me on blazing sevens? Because I'm liking that a lot. The, the blazing sevens is in the seventh post position. It seems good. And the seventh post position has won 14 times, which is tied for second with the fourth spot. Yeah. If, if I was to put, and I haven't done it yet, when I put a pick four or pick three together, I'll probably close with four horses. The two I mentioned, I can't leave mage off my ticket in a pick four. If I'm closing it, that would be just 
mind-bogglingly stupid in a pick four. I don't, you don't get much value at six to five as a win bet, but you can certainly get some value coming back in a pick four. And then I would certainly put blazing sevens on the ticket. I mean, like I said, there's four horses I think you can toss and, and there's four that are live contenders. And I think those are the only four that are contenders in the race. So I do like blazing sevens. He did finish third in the bluegrass at, at Keeneland um, and the top two, two, Finishers out of that didn't run very well in the Derby. Now that may not matter. Plus blazing sevens comes in fresh, did not run in the Derby. So, um, you know, he, he could have, um, he actually earned enough points, but his trainer, Chad Brown had kind of pointed him towards the Preakness felt like that was the next landing spot. So um, sometimes that's, that's a winning formula too, of, of when a, when a trainer opts to skip the Derby is pointing for the next leg, which is the Preakness. A lot of times that's the horse, the fresh horse that's going to win it. You know, a lot of times you'll see, you know, the mage is going to put up a fantastic number in the Derby, but he was all out to get the win. They're coming back in two weeks. That's a big ass to come back in two weeks off of that kind of an effort. Um, it was not an easy win for mage. So that was, a, that was a lot too. And blazing sevens comes in fresh. So yeah, that, that I like blazing sevens. I, 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 I'm going with my two in a trifecta, but like I said, in a pick three or pick four, I'm, I'm putting blazing sevens on a ticket. All right, there you go. Uh, Skinny, what about the PGA Championship? What do you got there? You know, I'm, I'm, I hate to do this, but I like their odds. I'm going to go with the two two of the live guys. I'm going to go with Kepka because, I, I, you know, I know he stumbled in the Masters. Um, and I'm going to go with Dustin Johnson. He's fresh off a win in Tulsa in, in the latest live event. I hate to pick the live guys, but both are live 20 to ones to me. I think actually Dustin might even be 22 to one. Um, I, I, I got to do it. I, I, I'm going to go with the two live guys. Yeah, I'm, I hate I'm, to do it too. I hate everything about Liv. I'm seeing them both at twenty to one right now. So. Yeah, yeah. There we go. All right. Ask any anything time. Let's do just, it. Just a couple to get to today. Most right, of them sports related here. Out of the Bengals draft picks, who does Skinny think is most likely to see immediate playing time? Well, but I, I guess I would have to ask immediate playing time, meaning more than fifty percent of the snaps or playing some snaps. How do you think I should answer that, Rick? Well, I think I would say the guy who is most likely to make the biggest impact. So if you think multiple guys will play regular snaps right away, then who's going to have the most snaps immediately? That's a great question. I, I'll go I'll go Jordan Battle. Safety think, from Alabama. I think he moves his way into the starting lineup at some point. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I, I, it just feels that way to me. Do you think Charlie there's Dun- anyone who has a chance to start right away? Depending on what happens with Joe Mixon and nothing has happened yet, I Chase Brown. Yeah, I think that would have been my answer just because there's the there's the outside possibility. I don't even know how outside it is that he is running back one on day one. Yeah, it, it's feeling much, much like a lesser possibility the deeper we get into this, right? Yeah, um, but it's not but, crazy to think that that's correct. A legit correct. Chan- a chance. Correct. You know, I, I think for DJ Turner, it's he's going to play in an emergency only kind of what happened to cam Taylor Britt. Now cam started on, on uh, um, the injured list last year. Um, and then, you know, when he finally got healthy, he got thrust in the lineup due to injury. But I think that's the same spot that DJ Turner's in maybe spell a guy for a handful of snaps here and there, but primarily I, I know Lou Anarum was talked about. He doesn't like to rotate corners. I mean, he likes when his corners are out there, those are his corners. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know how much of an immediate impact DJ Turner makes, but he end, might end up like Cam Taylor Britt last year, making the biggest impact if somebody gets hurt. All right. What do you guys think about Micah Adams Woods transferring from Cincinnati to St. Bonaventure? You said you were going to talk about him last week and then never did. No, we, we really weren't going to talk true. about him. That was kind of a throwaway line at the start of the podcast. But um, <laughs> I, 
I think that's a better level for him to play. I think he'd have gotten swallowed whole in the Big 12. I really do. I mean, he doesn't shoot it at an elite level. You're going to get matched up with bigger physical guards in that league. Um, I don't know if he goes around guards in that league either. And if he does, there's going to be more rim protectors in that league. I, I think for Micah, it's a it's a much better fit at St. Bonaventure. He's a listen, he served his purpose. He's going to be a thousand point scorer in his career, which is going to span like 180 college games, it feels like. But St. Bonaventure feels like a much better fit for Mike Adams Woods than Cincinnati in the Big 12. I would agree. I know Cincinnati had the intention of bringing him back as a veteran presence there to go along with uh, Day-Day Thomas and Jizzle James, the two newcomers, one Juco and one an incoming freshman that are going to be manning the point guard spot for UC now. But if I'm a UC fan, I'm happy that this happened, quite I, honestly. I kind of am, too. I kind of would be, too. He, uh, no offense to the kid. He's just not good enough. He really wasn't good enough for them to be where they wanted to be when they were in the AAC, and he's definitely not going to be good enough at the Big 12 level. And with him still on that roster, as a guy who's been in the, the system for multiple years now, knows Wes really well, and is reliable with what he's capable of doing, he's, he's not good enough, but he is reliable. You know what you're going to get from him. I think Wes would have still been tempted to use him more than he should have. I, I, I think so too, Rick. And I, and I, I get that feeling because listen, as a coach, you want to at least be able to rely on a guy, right? You may have a, a guy who can sizzle now and again, but if you got the guy, you go, listen, this guy's upside is higher, but I know what I'm getting from this cat and I'm going to have to play him more minutes because I just know what I'm getting. I can't run the risk of not knowing. Well, now you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, especially when you feel like you're coaching for your job. And let's face it, I mean, Wes Miller has not had the type of success that Cincinnati fans expect yet. So he's going in with a lot of pressure in the next year, and it's not going to be easy to win games in the Big 12. And you get into the spot where all of a sudden you're watching film and you go, you're looking at your analytics, you go, you know what? We're just better with Mike on the floor. He's he's more consistent. And you just end up playing him and he becomes your starter again or becomes the guy playing 60, 70 percent of your minutes at the point guard spot again. And that. I just think UC needed to avoid that. So uh, with you. whether it makes them better or worse, I'm not exactly sure yet. We'll have to see what those news guys can bring. But I think overall, this is the, the right move for UC. Well, they it, just it, need to move on. It can give you a chance to either play Day-Day Thomas and or Jizzle at the point guard throughout your non-conference and see what you got and let them play through some mistakes against maybe some inferior competition and then figure out who you can move forward with. And maybe both in some, some capacity, maybe together for all I know. Exactly. What are Skinny's top five? Favorite local uni combos, past and present? Oh, let's let me think. So it depends on how far you want to go down. I I, I grew up for whatever reason an ABA fan. I, I love the Kentucky Colonels uni. Oh, yeah. Those are pretty I loved, solid. I, I love those. I was a big fan of those. Um I do like, and you and I were talking about this before the podcast started. I do like those UC uniforms with cats across the front. Those were what they wore in the in the in the Gale Catlett years of the 70s. Those those were always pretty cool to me. I like the Xavier. I can't. I, I don't even know what color blue it is, Rick. You know the blue I'm talking about. The royal blue, the Running Man ones. Or are you talking the, about the like lighter, lighter blue? Ones? Lighter blue. Oh, okay. I love those. Yeah, I don't know exactly what you would call that. Is it powder blue? Or- yeah, it's not powder. I, yeah, I don't know what it's blue like it is. Columbia we're, blue. We're on, the, or something? We're, we're on the same page. Um, I love the old Cincinnati Stingers. I love their uni, the hockey team. Cincinnati Stingers. Dude, Stingers of the WHA years. I used to go all the time with my dad. Loved it. Loved the WHA. There's some really good players in the WHA. They were. Uh, I'm seeing like yellowish. Yes, jerseys. Yeah, like like the big 
B on the yeah. front. Yeah. And it's the Stingers. That's what the Stingers. And honestly, the old Oscar Robertson Royals uniforms with Royals down like the kind of the side. I thought those were pretty cool. So you have no Bengals and no Reds in your uh, favorite yeah, jerseys? Yeah, I I kind of like the, the creamsicle Bengals or the all white, but not, not the white helmet. I like the all white tops and bottoms with the with the orange helmet. And honestly, no, no Reds. Reds unis have never really done much for me. What about the old uh, like cutoff sleeve jerseys they're wearing in the like Reggie uh, Sanders, yeah, Deion or, Sanders era? Or, or, or the Ted Klazuski era. Well, go all the way back that far. Yeah. yeah but I, yeah. I like the pinstripe ones. Yeah, those ones Deion's weren't wearing. you're right. Those weren't those weren't bad. They were just weird and kind of funny. Yeah, the 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 if you were to ask the worst red uniform of all time, it had to be the ones from the set through the 70s and early 80s. Those were horrifying. With the low stirrups and just I don't know, they just were plain. I know they were iconic because it was, the Reds won a lot. Of the games. Reds were good, yeah. yeah exactly. And you didn't really care what the uniform looked like. You just knew the players in the uniforms were pretty good. Yeah, there's nothing to them. I saw a picture the other day where uh, they showed a game where the Reds had worn their batting practice jerseys. The red with the, like, mesh, you know? I don't they, recall that. They wore them for an actual game. Someone had a picture. It might have been Cam... Uh, Cam Miller? Cam Miller, yeah. Yeah, the documentary, he, he, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I did not see them. Maybe I'll have to go through his Twitter and see see what those look like. Yeah. I mean, you know the jerseys I'm talking about, like the one that everyone has yes, the Johnny yeah. Bench batting practice yes. jersey, the red yes. mesh. It's yes. that basically, okay. but they wore them for games. Okay. Or for one game, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. When is the last time Skinny went to a concert? Uh, Friday night. <laughs> really? Don Mellencamp at Aronoff. I'm guessing this person did not expect that type of answer. Right How now. about that for an answer? Yeah, you were on top of it. Man I about was. the town. I, I was. Uh, he was really good. I mean, the, the thing I was stunned at, he's got a violinist. And I kept looking at her. And I, the, we went with another couple and I said, that can't be the original. And when he said the name, it was. I'm like, golly, she looks like she's 35 years old. I looked up, she's 64. I'm like, holy cow. Good, you've done quite well, sister. And she's really good. All right. Well, that's all I got. See, how about that? That guy, he weren't expected that answer. I, I I didn't include Breaking Benjamin in there, which my friend Jay Morrison's going to see. So, yeah, that's not my cup of tea. <laughs> what when was the last time before the John Cougar Mellencamp concert? Uh, last summer, we saw Cheap Trick and Rod Stewart. So there you go. See, you're a concert guy. Mm, I wouldn't call myself a concert guy, but I'll, I'll go to one or two a year. I'll sprinkle a couple in here and there. I don't think the listeners would have guessed that. I don't think they would have either, but there it was. There so a go. lot of people I knew at John Mellencamp on Friday, too. I bet. Oh, I bet that was just a uh, family reunion around here. I felt like an old – it sure felt like it. I mean, everywhere I went, hey, how are you going to see? I haven't seen you in a while. Wait a minute. I mean, literally, that was that was the case. So, yeah. Um, it was good. So, yeah. All right, Rick, thanks very much. Thanks for the questions, as always. We'll be back next week with another podcast in this series. For Rick Rory, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Morning.